Welcome to the Mariners Cast, presented to you by Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at Tino Junior Twenty, and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. It is Monday, July Fourteenth, uh, about midday. On today's Mariners Cast, we are going to review where they are in the standings. We will talk Saturday and Sunday's games. Uh, it was Felix Hernandez Hall of Fame induction weekend. Uh, very fitting that it happened on Saturday night. We will talk about that in a minute. So we'll go through Saturday and Sunday's games and then uh, do a quick overview of the Kansas City Royals, who the Mariners will face in Kansas City for a four-game set starting tonight, and review that pitching matchup. Let's get started. The Mariners are now 63-54. and 54. Six and a half games out of the American League West, one and a half games out of the wild card, have a plus 58 run differential and are eight and two in the last 10. This was the first series that the Mariners dropped in quite a while. Uh, Saturday's game was a one zero loss in 10 innings. Uh, George Kirby pitched nine shutout. Incredibly fitting that he did that on Felix Hernandez induction day. Um, because, uh, as most Mariners fans know, uh, Mariners offense never supported Felix Hernandez, uh, with runs and his win loss record suffered because of it. So this game was a matchup of, uh, George Kirby against Cole Irvin, left handing, left handed. I wouldn't say soft tossing because he hits 94, but left handed starting pitcher for the Orioles. He pitched for the Athletics last season. And the Mariners' offense mustered four hits and four walks in uh, 10 innings. I will not speak of the offense really at all. There isn't really much to say um, about the Mariners' offense in this game other than they were putrid. Uh, nobody got on base more than once. Cade Marlowe had a hit. Dylan Moore had a hit. Taylor Hernandez and Cal Raleigh each had hits. That's it. That's the offense. So George Kirby really was was the story and was the star of this game. He went nine innings, three hits, no runs, no walks, seven strikeouts, 103 pitches in nine innings, 73 strikes. He lowered his ERA to 3.11. At one point in time, George Kirby had retired 19 Baltimore Orioles in a row. And Ryan Mountcastle had a single to open the second inning. And they did not get a runner on base until Austin Hayes singled in the top of the eighth. So from the top of the second to the top of the eighth, Baltimore got nothing. Only 55 first, uh, percent first pitch strikes, which was surprising to me. I believe league average is right around 60. So, uh, that's fascinating that a pitcher like George Kirby of that level of, uh, of command and control was uh below league average with first pitch strikes. League average is 60.9%. So he was 6% below league average with first pitch strikes. I would assume that's intentional from him because he's in the zone so much. Uh 11 of his outs were ground balls, 8 were fly balls. So what was different about George Kirby that he could shut down a top 10 offense in baseball for 9 innings straight? He his velocity was way up for starters. 
So he was up 1.2 miles an hour over yearly average on the fastball, 1.6 miles an hour on the sinker, 1.3 miles an hour on the curve, and 1.3 miles an hour on the slider. So velocity way up. His spin was up on his curveball and his slider. And those are pitches where you want um, you want spin to go up. The sinking pitches like a, a, a changeup or a sinker, typically you want to have that lower number. But the, the curveball and the slider were were harder. They had more spin. Um, he just had better stuff. This might have been the best stuff that I've seen George Kirby have um, in his career. So he averaged 97-3 on both the four-seamer and the sinker in this game. And he topped out at 99-7 with the four-seamer. So it registered 100 miles an hour on the broadcast. Uh, he threw 7% more four-seam fastballs in this game. 25% uh, whiff rate, which is very close to league average. Uh, he He just did some really, really fun stuff. And I think the splitter is um, really lending itself uh, to George Kirby to be more, even more successful. He's doing things to throw hitters off. Like I said, fewer first pitch strikes, throwing the splitter, which is very difficult, difficult to control in the first inning against left-handed uh, hitting Cedric Mullins. He threw two four seam fastballs at the top of the zone. And then the other two pitches of the at bat were a, split finger that was way outside that has to get, you know, gets the batter thinking a little bit. Um, it was that far outside. And then he struck him out on a splitter below the zone. I think before the splitter, George Kirby would have had the changeup or the curveball to throw, but those are pitches that you would expect to be somewhere within the zone or a sinker at the same velocity as the fastball. And so now with that splitter, it gives him a, a, a wrinkle of unpredictability that I think is very, very good for him. So Again, best stuff of his career from what I've seen. Even the curveball, which he doesn't throw a ton of, was really working in this game. Um, he just looked phenomenal, and that played out in his nine shutout innings. Uh, in the 10th, he gave way to Andres Munoz, who uh, lost the game for the Mariners. His velocity was up. He averaged 100.1 uh, miles an hour on that fastball. Spin was up on that as well. Velocity on the slider was up 1.3 miles an hour. So it wasn't a stuff question for him, but it was a location uh, question. And this is the same location is the same issue that the Mariners had eventually against the Orioles uh, on Sunday as well. Um, I go back to it that if you can't locate, doesn't really matter how good your stuff is. You're not going to win. And so here's Andres Munoz throwing a hundred mile an hour for, forcing fastball, a 90 mile an hour slider. We all know his stuff is phenomenal. And against Ryan Mountcastle with the runner on third and one out in extra innings, uh, he threw two forcing fastballs up in the zone and both of them caught too much of the zone. The first one was top rail slightly inside, but then the second one was just above the belt and on the outer half of the zone is just, it was bad location. And two straight fastballs means Mountcastle could time him up. And so he hit a single. And that was that, basically. The Mariners failed to score um, in the bottom of the 10th against uh, Felix Bautista, and they lost. And so for all that great pitching from George Kirby, 
Andres Munoz in that one inning, despite the phenomenal stuff, just left a pitch um, out and over the plate for Ryan Mountcastle to single on. So, again, unfortunate loss for the Mariners. Unfortunate that George Kirby couldn't get the victory. He had shut out the Orioles in nine innings, and the offense was just terrible. Um, So Sunday was a matchup of Kyle Bradish against Bryce Miller. Uh, Bradish on the season after this game was sitting with a 3.18 ERA. He's a very effective pitcher. He went six innings, five hits, two runs against the Mariners. But Bryce Miller matched him. Five and two-thirds innings, five hits, one earned run, two walks, two strikeouts. Uh, the Mariners ended up losing this game again in extra innings, 5-3. So what happened in this game? Offense was a little better, obviously. Um, I do want to talk about lineup construction a little bit because, you know, the Mariners with J.P. Crawford out have put Julio up top and have moved uh, Eugenio Suarez to the two-hole and Cal Raleigh to the three. In this game, it was Julio, Suarez, Raleigh, Teo in the four, Ty France, Canzone, Marlowe. And then uh, Dylan Moore and Rojas. The issue for me is you've got low on base percentages up top. You've got high strikeout hitters up top, right? So on base percentages. So Julio leading off, I don't think is perfect. I would rather see him hit second or third, probably second. But you don't have a, evidently they don't have a, a leadoff hitter that, they trust in front of Julio Rodriguez. For me, and I wouldn't be surprised to see this as long as JP is out, it would not surprise me against right-handed pitchers to see Cade Marlowe lead off. He takes walks. Currently, I know it's a small sample, but he has a 400 on-base percentage as of right now. Um, I would love to see a little more speed up there. I would love to see the lineup lengthen a bit because Julio's on-base percentage is 318. Geno's is 323, Cal 306, Teo 290. That's not a recipe for success at the top of a lineup if your hitters can't get on base. And so I would love to see Marlowe moved up. You move everybody down a spot, um, at least against right-handed hitting or right-handed pitching. And potentially you put Caballero or Dylan Moore in that leadoff spot against lefties. Uh, just a thought. But as far as right now, I do not like the way this lineup looks. I've never liked Ty France higher in the lineup because he grabbed into too many double plays and he's too slow. Um, so this game, again, the Mariners lost 5-3. They got five and two-thirds innings from Bryce Miller. I think getting five or six innings from Miller of um, very good pitching is what they've come to expect. Uh, he looks good. I will go over his his uh, approach in a minute because it was very different in this game. But the Mariners, so it was... Uh, 2-1 Mariners going into the sixth. Baltimore tied it up at 2-2. Baltimore, Baltimore scored in the ninth uh, off of Munoz. This was a double by Jordan Westberg. That was the second slider in a row for Munoz in middle-middle. This also was a poor pitch, poor location. Um, and it led to uh, that run in the ninth off of Munoz, so safe situation, or excuse me, tie game. He gives up the run, potentially t- takes the loss. 
And this was the first Dominic Canzone moment. So Mike Bauman was pitching to close out the game for the Orioles because Felix Bautista had gone two innings the previous game. And through, he threw a middle-middle fastball that Canzone hit 109-4 off the bat, 402 feet, home run in all 30 parks. Bat flip, pimped it, definitely would have gotten, uh, caused a brawl uh, 10 years ago, but just a badass home run. Um, this came, the batter, after Ty France hit a, uh, what looked to be a home run to center field that was robbed by Cedric Mullins. It was a phenomenal catch by Mullins. Um, this only would have been a home run in six of 30 parks. I was surprised to see, but definitely an emotional roller coaster for the Mariners to go into the ninth tide. Andres Munoz, their closer, gave up a run. Ty France appears to hit the game tying home run in the bottom of the ninth. He's robbed by Cedric Mullins. Next batter, Dominic Canzone, hits that 109-mile-an-hour uh, home run to right field. Just a huge turn of events. Absolute roller coaster for Mariners fans. Um, the first real moment of Mariners moment for Dominic Canzone, I do really like his quality of contact. Um, it's clear the ball truly carries off of his bat. I think he's going to be an asset. I think he's going to be a very good hitter down the road. Um, I'm glad the Mariners traded for him, but super cool moment. And then of course, uh, Mariners, those of you that watched the game saw, uh, the Mariners bring in Trent Thornton, uh, the pickup from the Blue Jays, uh, with the 3000 plus RPM sweeper in the 94 mile an hour fastball. And he gave up a, uh, what ended up being the losing home run to, uh, Cedric Mullins. And there was a lot of criticism of, um, Scott Service for bringing in Trent Thornton in this high leverage situation, three, three game extra innings. I went through just to see who was available on Friday. The Mariners pitched, uh, Taylor Saucedo and, um, Ryder Ryan, the pitcher they brought up from AAA along with Trent Thornton. That was Friday night. Saturday, Andres Munoz threw 18 pitches. And then Sunday, before Thornton, it was Topa, Spire, Brash, Munoz. So who did you have available? You had Saucedo. You had Thornton, obviously. You had Isaiah Campbell, who hadn't pitched in the last couple of days. And you had Ryder Ryan, who you're not bringing in in that high leverage situation unless you don't have anybody else. Who, uh, so coming up for the Orioles in the, in the 10th inning was Anthony Santander, who is a switch hitter, who doesn't really have, um, a platoon split to speak of. Cedric Mullins, who is a left-handed hitter, who you would assume, um, is better against right-handed pitching. And then Ryan Mountcastle, who, Mountcastle is hitting 343 with a 1.052 OPS against lefties and 236 with a 659 OPS against righties. So I'm going to assume that Scott Service made the decision that he would rather have Trent Thornton face left-handed hitting Cedric Mullins. And then um, obviously Santander doesn't matter either way. 
because he was afraid of Mount Castle against the lefty than he would uh, Saucedo against Saucedo against Mullins, which is the 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 matchup you would want, and then have to face Mountcastle. So, on the one hand, I understand where he was coming from with uh, the choice to have Thornton pitch to Santander, uh, Mullins, and Mountcastle. I personally wish that. So, I should also say Adam Frazier, left-handed hitting Adam Frazier, was after Mountcastle. Austin Hayes, right-hander, was after Frazier. So. I understand the thought process of bringing in Thornton. Also, Thornton is is a veteran. Um, I think of the right-handed uh, relief pitchers that were available, Thornton, Ryan, and Campbell, Thornton was the choice. However, if they would have brought in Saucedo to pitch to Santander and then pitch to Mullins, as long as both hitters didn't didn't get on base and the run didn't score the ghost runner on second, you would have been able to intentionally walk Mountcastle against Saucedo to get to Frazier, to get to Hayes. That would have been my preference is Saucedo against Santander and Mullins intentionally walk Mountcastle and go from there. Instead, Thornton pitched to Santander and then pitched to Mullins, and Mullins hit a two-run home run, and that was the game. Uh, it was also just he gave Mullins two truly middle-middle fastballs to hit in the you know at 95 miles an hour, and so you shouldn't be surprised that he gave up the home run there. So was it a horrible decision to have Thornton pitch to Mullins? Not necessarily. I get the thought process. I think with Saucedo available, I would have preferred to see Saucedo against those first two hitters and Mountcastle intentionally walk. So Mariners lose uh, in this game, again, 5-3. I should say, too, so Shintaro Fujinami came in to close the game out bottom 10. And, you know, because Felix Bautista wasn't available, Fujinami has been horrible this season. And like beyond horrible, cannot find the plate. He was signed by the Oakland Athletics out of Japan. Um, they were going to try him as a starter. They did. They ended up moving him to relief because he couldn't find the strike zone. It was 100 miles an hour, but he can't find the zone. So far this season, 13.8% walk rate. Fujinami has walked 38 batters in 59 and two-thirds innings. Okay, Really, that's all you need to know. Because while he has great stuff, he has a 7.99 ERA because of all those walks. So, Fujinami, right-handed reliever against Dylan Moore, 3-0 count. Moore takes a strike, 3-1, fouls off the next pitch, 3-2, and then strikes out on uh, essentially a middle-middle fastball. It was 100-plus miles an hour. I can't hit 100 miles an hour. I'm not blaming Dylan Moore for that. I think the approach was fine. He struck out. Mike Ford, first pitch, fastball way inside. Second pitch, low and inside fastball that he flew out to left field. I know he's a fastball hitter. I know he's trying to be in a fastball count. 1-0, 
you know, happy zone for a lefty. I get the swing. I do wonder because you know that Fujinami is a is so wild that I wonder if taking more pitches would have been the right idea. I also think the point in that at bat is to get on base. You were down two runs. So I would have liked to have seen Mike Ford take at least a couple more pitches against Fujinami because I think there's a high likelihood he could have drawn a walk. Um and again, a home run from Mike Ford is not going to tie the game. So would have liked to have seen him take more pitches. I understand he's up there to hit, but you got to get on base any way you can. And then Julio with two outs, he fouls off a cutter that was bottom rail. He took two balls, a so 2-1 count, but then he chased a four-seamer that was way outside of the zone to ground out to end the game. Um, you're ahead in the count 2-1. It's a pitch that wasn't a strike. Uh, again, Julio in a 3-1 count against Fujinami is probably getting a fastball to hit. So the approach against Fujinami, I just wanted to point out, I didn't like. I don't know if the Mariners uh, coaching staff said anything about the wildness of Fujinami. I would assume they did. I would assume the play, the hitters already know this. I know it's probably tense. You know, it's in front of a big crowd on Sunday, but I think the approach against Fujinami is to take pitches in that situation, at least to get a runner on. So a home run ties the game. So that's that the Mariners lost this game five, three, they lost Saturday's game and George Kirby's, you know, lights out pitching performance, one, nothing. Uh, again, it moves the Mariners to 63 and 54, six and a half games out of the AL West, one and a half games out of the wild card. Uh, the Mariners travel to Kansas City to take on the Kansas City Royals uh, Monday through Thursday for a four-game set. The Royals are terrible. There's no really no other way to put it. They are 38 and 81 on the season. Second worst record in baseball behind the Oakland Athletics. 23 and a half games out of the American League Central, which is a bad division to start. A minus 160 run run differential, and they are four and six in their last 10. You look at their lineup, you look at their pitching. If I'm a Royals fan, I'm depressed as hell. You've got Bobby Witt Jr., who is a superstar shortstop, certainly a fantasy superstar, but he is a, I feel comfortable calling him a superstar shortstop. Um, I love Bobby Witt Jr. Uh, underrated fantasy asset for sure. He has been worth 4.2 war. Fangraphs war so far this season, hitting 272, 313, 482 slug, but 21 homers and 34 stolen bases. So in many ways, a Julio Rodriguez counterpart um, at shortstop in Bobby Witt. MJ Melendez was supposed to be their star hitting um, left-handed hitting catcher when he first came up. Uh, he's now become really exclusively an outfielder for them, um, but he's been really he's hit pretty poorly even despite his hot streak recently. A sub 700 OPS and 12 home runs. Salvador Perez is 33 years old and starting to break down. They just don't have a lot on the offensive end, and they don't have a lot in the minor leagues. Coming up, there's not a ton of reason for excitement offensively for the Kansas City Royals. Um, Pitching-wise, you know, it's been well chronicled. They spent a lot of high draft picks on on arms. 
Um, for a long time, they were trying to teach sinker slider to these big arms. Um, it hasn't worked out for them. They've changed their philosophy to a certain extent, but they just, you look at their rotation currently and it's Cole Reagan's left-handed starting pitcher. They got from the Rangers, Brady Singer, who, who's starting tonight was a first round pick in 18. Jordan Lyles, who they signed to a free agent contract, basically to soak up innings. Alec Marsh and Angel Zerpa. Are those names you know? Um, if you're a fantasy player, probably, but not names that you really want to know. Bullpen is the same thing. They got Carlos Hernandez closing now, right? You've got Nick Whitgren, who pitched for the uh, Guardians for a while, and then just kind of a bunch of no names. Um, they are missing Vinny Pasquantino, who was injured early on in the season. They're slugging first baseman and Nick Prado, another left-handed bat who played first base in outfield. And then pitching-wise, they're missing Chris Bubich, who had Tommy John surgery. He was pitching really well at the beginning of the season, left-handed starter, another high draft pick. But he's out and probably out for the majority of 24 as well. Zach Greinke's on the injured list. Brad Keller, who they converted into a reliever, is on the injured list. Um, Daniel Lynch, another high draft pick, first-round uh, left-handed starter, also on the injured list. So a lot of guys hurt, even if they weren't hurt, not a ton of talent absolutely zero help in the minor leagues coming. Um, again, I would feel pretty bad uh, if I was a Royals fan, given, you know, the the dearth of talent on this team. Now that said, they have won two World Series, one in 1985, one in 2015. Their last AL pennant was in 15. They have four in their, in their team's history. Their last division title was in 2015. Their previous division title was in 1985. They went 30 years without winning a division, which is nuts. And um, they were a wild card once in 14. This season, the Royals have scored 3.95 runs per, per game, which is 28th in baseball, third worst. And their team ERA is 5.17, which is fourth worst in baseball, 27th. The Mariners. Be disappointed as a Mariners fan if they don't win at least three out of four. They should sweep. If we're being honest, they should sweep. It is baseball. You can't always, you, you would say that have with the Royals against anyone if that was, you know, set in stone, but it's not. But you look at the pitching matchups. You've got Logan Gilbert against Brady Singer tonight. Emerson Hancock against Jordan Lyles. Um, you know, Hancock is young. We'll see how that goes. But then Luis Castillo against Alec Marsh and George Kirby against Angel Zerpa. So Mariners have the distinct pitching advantage in at minimum three of four, potentially all four, and a better offense. Mariners league average offense is obviously much better than the third worst. So Mariners should play well. Um, Tonight's matchup, again, Logan Gilbert against Brady Singer. Gilbert comes into this game 10-5 and five with a 3.66 ERA and a 1.02 whip. 138 strikeouts in 137 and two-thirds innings. 4.5% walk rate, 25% K rate. Uh, I found interesting that the ERA for Logan Gilbert per month, March and April, it was 4.23. May, it was 3.96. June, it was 4.45, so you're right around a 4 ERA through June. 
And then July was a 278. And so far in August, a 2.08 ERA. So Logan Gilbert is getting better over the course of the season. His last start, as we know, on July or July, August 8th against the Padres, seven innings, one hit, no walks, no runs, 12 strikeouts. Um, I would expect Logan Gilbert to go deep into this game, six or seven innings. I would expect him to be very successful against the Royals. Um, especially given the fact that the Mariners threw Justin Topa, Gabe Spire, Matt Brash, Andres Munoz, and Trent Thornton in um, Sunday's game. Munoz went Saturday and Sunday. I would expect him to be unavailable. It would be interesting to see how the Mariners and or use the bullpen if it is a safe situation. But I would expect at least six innings from Logan Gilbert, potentially more. Uh, the Mariners are facing Brady Singer. Brady Singer's 27 years old, 6'5", 215 pounds. He was drafted in the first round by the Royals in 2018 out of the University of Florida. He also grew up in Florida. Uh, he was, you know, a headliner, right? You were expecting Brady Singer to be very good coming out. Um, one cool note that uh, I read on Wikipedia about Brady Singer is that he for Christmas in 2018, he surprised his parents by paying off a loan of theirs and also paying off all of their debt. I thought that was super cool um, reading that about Singer. So, again, 27-year-old pitcher. Uh, this season, he is 8-8 eight and eight with a 5.05 ERA and a 1.37 whip. Um Last season, he was 10 and 5 with a 3.23 ERA. Uh, so much worse this season than he was last. He has a 137 whip this season, 128 in the third innings, 136 hits, 108 strikeouts. And he has more walks, 40 in 128 innings this season than he had all of last season in 153 innings. So much higher walk rate, 1.6% above what it was last year and a strikeout rate that is almost 5% lower than last season. So not nearly as effective. What's the reason for this lack of effectiveness? Um, in looking at his numbers, having not watched Brady Singer starts, obviously he's missing um, He's missing location-wise. He's always been a bit of a nibbler. And when watching him, even last season when he was successful, and so he nibbles, and if you aren't going to throw the ball over the middle of the plate, and now this season his velocity is way down. So it's down a mile and a half on the sinker, a mile and a half an hour on the sinker. It's down 1.3 miles an hour on the slider, and he doesn't throw a whole lot else. So his sinker is down to averaging 92.3 and his slider 84.2. Those are ranges that where it's very difficult to be successful. So he's nibbling a ton. And I'm sure that he's, you know, you've got to be a little nervous about coming directly in the zone with uh, velocity that low. He also only throws two pitches to right-handers, sinker slider to right-handers, sinker slider, and the occasional changeup to left-handers. That's it. So you know what to look for. It's not coming at you very fast. Um Pitch mix is the same as last year. Whiff rate, interestingly, is the same as last year, but 
batted ball is not as good and uh, walk rate is up. Zone contact against him is also up 2.3% all the way to 87.5, which is very high for a pitcher. Um, so Mariners should be able to, to score runs off of Brady Singer. Logan Gilbert, who's been hot, is facing a lineup that is pretty bad top to bottom. Uh, as it stands now, roster resource says Michael Garcia in the one, Bobby Witt in the two, Michael Massey, second baseman in the three, Salvador Perez hitting fourth, MJ Melendez, Freddie Fermin, Matt Beatty cast off from uh, the Dodgers, Drew Waters, who, who flamed out with the Braves, and Kyle Isbell hitting ninth in center field. Just nothing to speak of. So, again, should be a successful game for the Mariners tonight. Um, I expect the win uh, coming off of an exciting series against the Orioles, I would say, despite the fact that they lost two of three. Again, very fitting that George Kirby goes nine shutout innings and doesn't win um, on the night that Felix Hernandez was inducted into the Mariners Hall of Fame. So that's it. Uh, Mariners nine games over 500 uh, need to continue to stay hot. We got the Astros for a three-game series at the end of this week. So taking three of four or all four against the Royals, I think, is necessary to keep up this momentum. We will be back tomorrow to review uh, tonight's game and uh, preview tomorrow's game. Thanks for listening to the Mariners cast. Again, we are presented by Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. And the podcast at Ethos Mariners, E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Take care, y'all. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. Peace.